0: It's good to see you, everyone. It's my privilege to be able to preach tonight. And uh, I'm going to look at Romans chapter 6, verse 12, as the primary scripture, which just says, consider yourself dead, consider reckon yourself dead, reckon yourself dead. <laughs> reckon yourself dead. And uh, I was thinking about the title for this message. I guess we could have called it Many Things depending on what slant I emphasize. But uh, as I was just chatting with Nick, I mean, I thought, I thought you could call it Reckon Yourself Dead after that scripture, or you could call it Risen with Christ. And it really is both of those things that I want to talk about tonight. We are all dead men walking, every single one of us. We are dead men walking, but... The risen Christ lives in us. And so it is is both of those things. And so I'm going to be looking at Ephesians 1 and 2 and Romans 4 and 6 um, in terms of the scriptures that I referenced tonight. And it's just out of what God's been doing in my life as I've been reading over the last while and just meditating on this thing of of living a holy life free of compulsion. Uh, I desire to be holy. Um, We all desire to be holy, I know, but there's a sense of God is unfolding some things and taking some things off which have been patterns from the past and He wants us to be free in Him and He wants me to be free in Him. Completely free. Free of compulsion in every level. In my marriage, as our parent, as I worship Him, as I preach, free of compulsion. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, it comes back to that simple thing that we've talked about over a while now about abiding in Christ. That everything flows out of that simple thing as we abide in Christ. We are in Him and so much flows out of that as we simply abide in Him. So last week I got Ed and uh, Corbis up and asked them to dismantle each other, just to try and illustrate that we are in Christ, and that's what the picture that, that God has, is that we are in, like, like a part of an arm is connected to the body, we are in Him. It's such a powerful picture of absolute unity. And... Um, I want to just have a look now at this thing of being made alive in Christ, that we, have been, that, that we are risen in Christ. The Scripture says that Jesus was quickened when he was in the tomb, buried, and he was quickened, that's made alive, and he rose from the grave and took upon him. So as he did that, death was broken, and your my life, and sin was dealt a death blow. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And so if you want to read Ephesians chapter 2 with me, it simply says this, God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. He made us alive together with Christ. That's the English Standard Version. The same power, verse 4, sorry, the same power that raised Jesus has raised us. The same power that raised Jesus has raised us. Jesus has been raised, we have been raised. Resurrection life lives in Christ. Resurrection life lives in you and I. That is what we believe. It's the same power in both cases. We have been made alive together with Christ. And I, I, I've been texting various people um, over the last couple of weeks just to, to try and encourage people in this revelation that's coming progressively to me. And it, and it is an amazing a statement of belief that we are dead to sin. And it's, it's to say it terribly is, a, is, is, is one thing, but to have it in your heart that you are absolutely dead to sin. And risen in Christ is a completely different level of revelation. What does it mean to be made alive? Well, obviously it doesn't mean to the physical life of our bodies, otherwise we wouldn't be sitting here, but deep down there's that thing of Paul saying, our spirits have been ignited and reborn. We were dead, absolutely, completely dead to the things of God, but now we're able to commune with Him, we're able to have the living God and relationship with Him, He's breathed life into us. And I don't know about you, but for me it feels like something of this last while has just been the fire, the the prophetic words that came tonight about that fire being kindled again and that sense of the fire in us just burning a little more passionately brighter, it's as God's doing that. He's just igniting our hearts again, refreshing us. I love that portion in Jeremiah which speaks about the fire in my bones. It cannot be shut up. And I think there's going to be a sense of just the growing fire in people's bellies this year, people's bones. other thing is we have new power. And uh, if you read, uh, as, as Paul writes in Ephesians 18... He, he, he doesn't talk about this new power like we have to get it. We have it. Uh, Nick said this morning, the fullness of all that we have in Christ, we have now. And Paul, when he prays for the church, he says, his, his language is, I want the, the eyes of your heart to be opened so that you can see and know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power. You already have this power. You don't need to get it. It's there. Because you have been raised in Christ. You and I. Raised from the dead. And now God, uh, Jesus is seated in the right hand of the Father. It's already, God's power is already working us, transforming us. And Paul says, I want you to know that. More and more and more and more. Let the eyes of your heart be enlarged. Grow your heart so you can see this immeasurable power that we have. And linked to that is this, that death is broken over you and my life. And I remember when I was um, uh, probably younger than Matthew, I had this, this uh, time, a couple of months in my life, where I had terrible nightmares. And uh, I, I couldn't sleep. And so I went through to my, my parents' bedroom regularly, and uh, my dad just prayed for me many, many times. And what he did was he prayed that portion out of Romans chapter 8. There's neither heart nor depth, angel nor demon, that can separate you from the love of God. And I, I never Forget that the power of Christ in me, the power of Christ in you, is sufficient for everything in our lives. It's absolutely amazing, and the power of death is broken. And that's what I was trying to uh, just illustrate. We have we have wisdom and learning. We've put men on the moon. We have uh, all sorts of technologies that are available to you and I. But no one yet has been able to overcome this this thing of death. No one has made anything alive. And that power, we, we, we had a look at in in last year, someone preached, I think it was Nick, that the source of all fear goes back to the fear of death. And we've been made captives to that fear. And the devil holds the whole of the world in that fear of death. But it's when Jesus was raised from the tomb. But, isn't it good to put a button there? When Jesus was raised from the tomb, The power of death was broken. The power of sin was broken. He took him right out of the tomb, and right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for for me. The head over all things, the church. The head over all things. I love, uh, it's verse 20 if you want to read it with me. Um, He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name, that has a name, that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. It's the same power. Is in you and in me. We are in Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. It's the power to deal with sin. It's a power to live a resurrection life in Christ. Not because we have to try. And Paul prays and he says, I want your, the eyes of your heart to be enlarged and opened. That power's in us. Thirdly, we've been glorified. It says Jesus has been taken up into glory and he's seated in the heavenly places. And as I am in Christ and as you are in Christ, we too, because we are in him, we are ascended too. We are ascended too. Right now, it says, Philippians 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Right now. You don't have to wait to one day enter the glory. Or go to some special meeting to enter the glory. We are in glory right now. That's what the scripture says. We are seated right now in heavenly places. Right now. Those Him justified, He is also glorified. And it's, I love the language there because it's in the past tense. Not that He will glorify us one day. There will be a fullness of of glorification one day. But we have been glorified, past tense, in Christ. I love what Eaton says, Michael Eaton. He says, in the mind of God, the saved are already in glory. In the mind of God, you and I, we are already in glory. The right hand of the Father. There's a beautiful scripture. Colossians 3 verse 3. My life, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're my life, hidden with Christ in God. And the word there is, is uh, hidden is crypto. And uh, Nick sent me through this uh, thing of the, the Greek, which enlarges that word. It means to be covered completely, unnoticed, secret, stored away in heaven, removed from view, out of sight, concealed, gone, departed. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ. That's your position. And it's so important that we dwell on that when we read other portions of Scripture. Because then we read it from the the right perspective. Does that that, that mean that my old man, the carnal life is completely gone? And these are good questions that we need to ask. Is it that our old man is covered over with 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 the righteousness of Christ? And traditionally two, two positions have been adopted. One is the hand is, is is the perfectionists, and they say that we are so renewed that all sin and temptation doesn't touch us. Okay, on the other hand, you have the penitents who say that our sin is covered over by the righteousness of Jesus. But we still sinners. So that really means then we just got a kind of a little bit better version of the Old Testament in our lives. Right, if we adopt that position. The, the per- perfectionist position saying that we, are, we don't have any temptation uh, but is, is unreal because you and I know that if you lived your life for more than one breath that there are times where sin, you give into it. <laughs> so that's not real either. But it is closer to say that we are in the new covenant. We have died. It is no longer I. That live, but Christ that lives in me. There is that sense. The, the terminology that we use, born again, there's that seed of life that God has planted in us when we are saved. That's absolutely right. And this is why I, I, I said a while back that the, 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 new, the New King James or the English Standard Version is, is much better in this translation when it translates sinful nature as flesh. Because that's where the problem comes. When people talk about, what about my sinful nature? And the NIV translates sinful nature. And it's more accurate there to translate the word flesh, which simply means flesh, body, or the fact that I sin. Old man. Rather than nature, which implies some controlling ego, kind of, that we have. So the flesh is either our physical body, it's our fallen heart, but the point is we're no longer under the power of sin. No longer under the power of sin. God has removed us from the kingdom of darkness. He's placed us firmly in the kingdom of light. He's removed darkness from our hearts. We're living under grace under new, in a new kingdom. That's why when we talk about the church, the terminology that the Bible uses is we are new creations in Christ. We are, we've quoted it, some of it today. We are, we are t- temples of living stones. We are called saints. We have been raised to new life in Christ. Well, the, the, the last question then is, well, can we still sin? Well, it's not be- we can still sin, but not because of our hearts. Our hearts are made new, but it's, it's the leftovers of our minds, isn't it? Those things that pull us back. And that's why Romans 12 verse 1 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a process that we go through. And as Nick preached this morning, in terms of growing in maturity and growing in discipleship, there's a process as we become more and more like Jesus. We're throwing off those old perspectives, those old thoughts that have held us back. It's learning to walk in obedience. It's learning to walk in faith. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We were talking with Matt the other day, and he was talking about when I I can drive, when I go to university and uh, i going to have I'll, I'll legally be able to have gone to pub and have my first drink dad I'll be able to do that so we said yes that's cool Matt you've got grace you've got grace in your life to do that you know you've also got grace in your life not to get drunk it's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness I, I will celebrate with him when he has his first, first punt but uh, let the grace of God be so in his life that he says no to ungodliness as well Amen. Mercy for the (laughs) drunk. We press on to maturity. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. I'm really getting to the main point of what I want to say now. It's Romans chapter six, verse twelve. Because if you if you read the book of Romans, and this is what I found really interesting this week, there are no commands in the first five and a half chapters of Romans. Not one command. Not told to do anything. All right, but there are many later on. If you read from chapter 12 onwards, virtually every verse is a command. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind is the first one. It's a statement, a command. And the first command that comes in the book of Romans is chapter 6, verse 11. And it's not even a command to do anything. It is a command to know something. Not to do anything, but to know something. What does Paul say? He says, know this, consider yourself dead. That's what he says. I want you to know that, that you are dead. Old man is dead. So the English Standard Version says, You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Or the the King James, Likewise, reckon also yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, how do we do that? How do we reckon ourselves dead? And it's not a difficult thing to understand, if we can use a picture to illustrate it. It's simple. It's simple. If I have two people, a big person, Glenn, would you come and stand here, please? And a small person, Michael or Helen. Helen, come here. So I can see Glenn and I can see Helen, all right? So you stand there, please, Glenn. And now, Helen, can you just go behind Glenn and can you stand like this? I, I reckon Helen is still there. I cannot see her. I cannot touch her. You might be able to see her, but from my perspective... I can't see that she's there, but I reckon it's true that she is there. I reckon it's true. Thank you. That's the sinful nature coming out. Thank you. What is my point? No illusion. And the point is that there's logic in chapter 6, because if you go to verse 6, Paul says this. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. He says, you know that. Okay? Then what does he say in verse 8? Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live. And then we get to verse 12, and he simply says, now reckon this true, that you are dead to sin. So he's saying, you know this. And you believe this, and the logical consequence of you knowing this and believing this is reckon yourself dead to sin. Okay, Catherine, no, reckon yourself dead to sin. Andrew, you're dead to sin. (laughs) What does that mean? It simply means what you say you believe and what you know to be true. Realize who you are in Christ. That's what he's trying to say. Your old man is gone, and our life of godliness simply flows out of that simple thing by seeing who we are in Christ and recognizing who we are in Christ. And the 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 language that Paul uses of himself, let let us use it of ourselves. I've been crucified with Christ. In in other words, everything that I used to be is gone. The old Anthony at uh, boarding school who did outrageous things—he no longer lives. He's gone. He's dead. He's no more. A new I exists. The one that's been born of the Spirit, a new ant, lives. It's no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. I have a new life. Jesus lives in me right now. So what has changed is the I in the equation has changed. The old I has died. And there's a new I. There's a new ant. There's a new Petri. There's a new Mike. There's a new Glenn and Helen. Born of the Spirit. It's no longer that old I that lives. It's the new I that lives in Christ. And the person that lives is no longer under the law, but completely, directly under the grace of God. That's it. Glory. Amen. And fifthly, I've only got six points, right? So this is the second last one. Fifthly, it's a walk of faith. Completely, it's a walk of faith. You might not feel that you are new. There are days you're gonna wake up, you feel like I'm not new. You can't walk by what you see either. You walk by sheer faith. And the example that Paul uses in Romans chapter 4 is the brilliant example of Abraham. And you all know the story. So, God tells Abraham in Genesis, You're gonna have a son, and through your son, All the nations of the the world are going to be blessed. The problem is that Sarah is barren for many, many years. And by the time we get to the story, she's not pregnant and she's about 95. And Abraham is 100. Can you imagine trying to explain that to your friends? Going to dinner parties in tents and say, wow, that's nice. What's your name, Abraham? Father of many nations. Where's Where's your child? Oh, no, my wife's going to fall pregnant any day now. Any day now, you know I've just started the gym again, and uh, can you see, Bob? Can't see. I okay. was <laughs> All right. When you when you're forty five, you know your body no longer it doesn't work like it did when you were twenty five. So have faith. Have faith. <laughs> so your heartbeat. How they measure how you should work out is that your heartbeat's two hundred twenty maximum 220 beats a minute and you subtract your age so for me that's about 175 beats a minute and you should exercise for various things at certain percentiles of your your heartbeat so if you want to lose weight for me that's between 145 to 160 beats a minute anything over 160 beats a minute is anaerobic it's just doing your heart alright so you don't want to do your heart too much because you just get fit and you don't lose weight that's what I'm trying to say but my point is that what I could do when I was 25 I can't do anymore it's true. I can just imagine, can you imagine if it was, if it was Abraham walking into the gym on his Zimmer frame? He's like 100. He is. He's walking into his gym and he's watching all the young Turks. They're all working out. They're all strong, virile. They're all reproducing all the time. And like he's, where's your son, Abraham? Well, you know, he has Sarah and she's also on his Zimmer frame. She's going to fall pregnant. Any day now. Any day now. The point is that Abraham believed against everything that was not normal. It was absolutely abnormal. His body was past what it could do. And his wife's body was dead. And he, the scripture says he looked that straight in the eye and he said, I recognize it. I reckon that's true, that's true. But he believed God, and that's what was credited to him as righteousness. That's amazing. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he'd been told, and so shall your offspring be. And I love these phrases. It says he did not weaken in his faith. He did not waver in his faith when he saw the consequences in his own body because his own body was as good as dead, and no distrust entered his heart. He believed God. Now, what I'm trying to say is that Paul says that same faith that Abraham exercised, that was credited to him as righteous, that same faith you and I need to apply to this thing, that we are dead to sin by faith. Same faith. You might not feel it, but you are dead to sin. Your circumstances of your life might say it's not true. Times you might not feel like you've risen in Christ. I want to encourage you tonight, refuse, refuse to listen to those thoughts and respond like Abraham. He didn't weaken, he didn't waver. He was fully convinced that God had the power to do every single thing that he had promised. And you are alive in Christ, every single one of you that knows Jesus. You have risen with him. You might feel like you're staggering around at times, but remember, you're always in the kingdom of light. You never go back to the kingdom of darkness. Christ has been uh, made alive. You've been made alive in Christ. It's, uh, Philippians encourages us all. The good work that Jesus began, he will bring to completion. You're a son. You're our daughter. You're in the kingdom of grace. Sin has no claims on you. And if, you, if we do sin, it's because we're, living to the, we're listening to the devil's lies. Mm-hmm. Giving into that old thing that he's trying to put on us. The devil cannot stop you and I walking by the Spirit. He's got no power to do that. (laughs) It's beautiful. The Holy Spirit leads us and we walk according to the Spirit. So I want to encourage you tonight. Reckon these things true. You believe. You say you believe. You believe together with me. Everyone who believes. Who believes tonight? Yeah. And you know. So now reckon it true that you are dead to sin and live a life by the Spirit. You are risen, all of us, in Christ. Let's walk by the Spirit as we go forward this year. Amen? Good, okay. Let's... Uh, what do you want to pray?